Hi, this is John Cowsill from the Cowsills and of late the Beach Boys. And when I'm not busy being in the studio recording songs that no one will ever hear, I'm listening to the Jukebox Graduate. And I think you should too. Get on it. Thank you very, very much, John Cowsill, um, <laughs> a longtime friend of mine, one of the most entertaining people on the planet. I'm Eugene Edwards. And I'm Dave Rayburn. And this is the Jukebox Graduate. It's the last episode that we'll uh, record for the calendar year of 2019. I guess that means it's the last episode of the decade. Yeah. Um, how about that? How about that? And we have a very special guest today. We have yes, we uh, my, my longtime friend, Lee Pardini. Say hello, Lee. Hey, guys. Pleasure to be here. Um, so we're going to spend the first half of the show talking to Lee. And and a little background here. Lee currently plays keys. He's, in the, he's a member of the band Dawes. Mm-hmm. Nice. That band's been around for 10 years mm-hmm. as Dawes. Um, they have about six albums, seven albums out? Six. Six. And uh, and Lee, you've been with them for three years, to my does yeah, that been, sound right? Yeah, uh, roughly around four. You know, it's, oh, wow. It started playing with them roughly five years ago, and then yeah. six okay, months into it. that- yeah, exactly. Then I then I became a member of the right. band, and it's it's flown by, so it does feel like <laughs> does. yesterday. Two to five years, let's say. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll we'll actually get a little more. We're we'll trying to yeah. get to the chronology of of how that happened, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to remember you and I first met through Brian Whelan, correct? Who's been on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Dave said earlier, all points, all roads go through Brian Whelan, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, especially much. for us, as they should. Um, he, I remember he told me about you, and it's funny because I I saw you substitute for his band, The Smooth Pursuit. You mm-hmm. played bass, long curly hair, yeah, so long ago, and this so this must have been. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to take uh, 2003, 2004, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe memory. somewhere like that. Um, yep. And you were still living in San Jose, is that correct? I had just started college in New York. Oh, so oh, that's right. But that would that probably would have been on a summer break. So I was yes. in San Jose. You know, every opportunity I, I could go back, mm-hmm. um, you know, from being in New York, San Jose was one, it was home. Yeah. And two, it was just such a nice break from the chaos. Yeah. And it afforded me those types of opportunities to come, you know, visit my good friend Brian down here in L.A., and which was happening. yeah, which was always <laughs> a, an incredible experience in so many different ways that being one of them when we first met. Yeah, that was at a club in North Hollywood. I think at the time it was called the Thunderbird something, but that room had been several venues over the years. Uh, it was on Lancashire. Mm-hmm. Uh, people out there who remember or, or have been in Southern California club scene, I'm sure you can take guesses as to what <laughs> what, what it's been over the years. <laughs> what it was. Also, I have a memory that you, that you may not remember because there was, so we met that night because mm-hmm. I'm assuming... The Eugene Edwards band probably shared the bill with the Smooth Pursuit that night yeah. in in, in uh, North Hollywood, and I don't know if it was on the same trip or maybe a separate one, but I have a memory of you seeing me perform at Disney's California Adventure with our friend Scott Bruce. Do you remember this? Oh wow, yes, you I were do. With a group of friends, yep. and we didn't speak. I saw you out in the audience, mm-hmm. 
And um, I, I think we waved. I think we had some sort of facial recognition, uh, so to speak. And uh, I mean, yeah, I just like, I just kind of flashing like my earliest memories of you, and it would be those two occasions. Yeah, and then and then how the years progressed and things came around. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Wow. So so, um, but you started on piano. Yes, piano was my first instrument, which was a mind-blowing thing to me. I didn't I wasn't aware of that until years after I just thought I I because you play bass so well, I thought he's he's a bass player. So why piano when how'd that how'd that come about? Uh started when I was well, it really started when I was 7 probably. Okay. That's when the interest started. I had a friend who I, I'd have to dig deep to remember his last name or find, but his name was Greg. If okay. you're out there, Greg, thank you. Right. Um, but he was taking piano lessons. He had been taking piano lessons for about a year. Um, we were in elementary school together at that point, and he was really talented. He took to it really quick, and he would come over. Um, and my older brother had a cheap little Casio. Uh, that was just lying around and Greg would sit down and, and play a little ditty and it blew my mind. <laughs> I had never really seen that type of thing up close because neither of my parents uh, played musical instruments. It really wasn't kind of a, a part of the family oh, okay. dynamic. Okay. Um, so Greg would just come over and I would punish him. Just <laughs> play it again. Sure. Play it again. Okay. Do it again. Yeah. And uh, then finally... I asked my parents, I you know, to figure out or just, you know, I asked Greg, who's your teacher? And then I asked my mom, can I please take lessons with uh, Laura Longshore up in San Jose? And the rest was kind of history. You know, I kind of I was so interested in it um, kind of out the gate that I hit the ground running. Yes. And so I was really excited and it just, you know, snowballed. You self-motivated. Yes, very much so. Yeah, now, that was when you were seven. You're saying? Well, I think or, I what, officially it was about eight when I started eight, okay. those lessons. So at that point, what kind of music on keys were you like interested in, like starting wanting to play yourself? Well, popular music, probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was trying to absorb as much as I could. So a lot of these instruction books are, you know, very just basic little ditties. Um, yeah. But they also, uh, you know, and this is why my teacher Laura was so great. Like they have easy beginning piano mm -hmm. versions of like Diane Warren songs or Burt <laughs> yeah, Bacharach yeah. songs and stuff like that, you know? Uh, going through this with my, my daughter right now, because uh, she's been taking piano lessons for, for actually years, but she's actually just, in the past years, really become very close with the instrument in mm -hmm. a way. And uh, I uh, there's uh, her piano teacher turned me on to this app called Music Notes. Okay. I don't have stock in this. I mean, this is not a paid advert. Music notes. Music notes. And <laughs> yeah. And um, so I think she, uh, my daughter wanted to learn Vince Guaraldi's Christmas Time is Here. Well, who doesn't? One of the best. Right? That's uh, so beautiful. I, yeah. I want to hear it in the house. <laughs> so you go to this app and, and you know, you purchase the sheet music, mm -hmm. but you can purchase it, you can modify the key. Oh. Uh, and, also, and also the level, the learning level. So mm, I was able to get cool. the most beginner. And by the way, the beginner version still has, it's still some flat five. I mean, you can't avoid yeah. the chord, the voicing. Fundamentally a jazzy composition. Yes. Yeah. But, 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 uh, but a beginning reader can, can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and frankly, I, uh, had to do a video. Uh, I'm going to turn this about me real quickly. 
for it's what we do for uh, <laughs> for Vintage Guitar Magazine. They wanted to do a little holiday video, just you playing and saying happy holidays. And I thought, well, what am I going to play? And I thought, oh, music notes. Christmas time is here. Mm-hmm. And I've even got a dumbed down version that I can adapt to the guitar because of this app, you know. So, so, I'm, so, yeah, you're right. There's, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's vital that these companies do this. Oh yeah, for beginning musicians, because as you know, being able to play something that you, being able to play material that you want to play when you're a kid or, mm-hmm. or beginner mm-hmm. in any at any age, is key to staying connected to it. Like Absolutely. You really, but if you're starting on music that you just. You're, you don't know anyway right. and you don't like mm-hmm. then it really prolongs the curve absolutely so do you remember like you said diane warren songs do you mm-hmm. remember any other songs that were breakthrough songs for you where you would feel like i am doing this oh yeah oh i i there were so many good ones in those formative years of learning to play the instrument um i remember and this was i mean another testament to to great teaching i had broken my wrist when I was 12-ish or so, mm-hmm. and I broke my left wrist playing basketball. Um, last time I ever competitively played basketball. <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, the piano recitals at the end of the calendar year, yeah. whenever they were, it was such a huge deal. Mm-hmm. It was competitive, but it was exciting, you know, and there was a lot of pressure, probably kind of self-induced pressure. Yeah. Um, and it, that one was the first first experiences I ever had of like registering what a headliner was or you know the order of the program was a bit of a source of pride like if you were towards the end you were one of the (laughs) more accomplished (laughs) students and that was like you know so there were a couple years where luckily enough I was sort of the headlining performer of these recitals and the year I broke my wrist I was set to play I've had the time of my life oh wow uh I don't even know who wrote that song but you know from Dirty Dancing fame uh, I know I, Bill Medley is one of the right. singers of that right. I'm I'm ble- I want to s- oh, wait was it not Diane oh, well, I'll figure it out we're but, trying yeah. not to go to our technology but right. I right. remember <laughs> uh it, it's actually the answer the answer is quite obvious I don't think it's Bacharach but it's it's in a it wasn't Diane Warren. She wasn't on the scene yet, but it could have been Backrack, Carol Bayer, Sager, that yeah, world. Some real famous I just remember songwriter, like, yeah. This really anachronistic music at the end of this movie that's taking place clearly in the late 50s, or right. 60s, up <laughs> the Catskills, and then like this complete 1987 yeah. production. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, the only, and then there's that little, um, there's a string of that. Uh, which is a reference to the original Righteous Brothers. Uh, That's a string movement from... uh, From like Unchained Melody? No, no, from uh, You Never Close Your Eyes. Oh, 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 what Otis Reddy and Mickey and Sylvia for this whole movie, and then all of a sudden, we just what just happened? Yeah. Anyway, I, those are the things that catch my brain. Totally. So, so that's the tune. That's when I first registered. I th- I think you know, like a, a sense of groove. It, it, mm. it, it was interesting though because it was the sweetest thing. Like I broke my wrist, and I was sort <laughs> of, you know, I was upset about the potential of missing the opportunity to perform at the recital, and my teacher we decided to play it as a duet, like a two hand ah, duet. Like, so okay. she would cover the left hand and I covered the right, but that was a kind of a formative experience in that, you know, when the groove kicks into that song, 
it takes a lot as a solo piano rendition, even if it's beginner, intermediate, or whatever, to hold that groove. And that was definitely something that 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 was sort of uh, an awakening in, in terms of just being able to make it feel good in an up tempo kind of funky way. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward a couple, like a ne- the next year after that, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was kind of the the perform the recital performance piece for me, which were, you know, it was kind of a distilled arrangement of that song. Well, I imagine obviously so. it's a, mm-hmm. a pretty complicated jam. Sure. Um, but <laughs> but like you know, like you said, those are the songs that I was. I had it in my ears. I mean, I loved these. How did Bohemian, just curious, because mm. I don't know if this matches up with the Wayne's World movie being out, but mm. how did Bohemian Rhapsody, the song, come under your radar? I think it was in a large way due okay. to oh, yeah. Wayne's which is great, World. Which is great, yeah. which is great. It's, I'm not, you know, I'm just, that's as it should. That's a, And by the way, just to backtrack, Dirty Dancing, that song, one of the most successful things in pop culture. Everybody who made that call at the studio made the right call. I'm oh, not absolutely. I'm yeah, yeah. Right, right. I do, don't put me at the head of your, your production unit or in your, any of those things. So I, I, my complaint is out of complete humility. I, I just want to make sure. So, so okay. So you're doing the recital circuit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, a bit, a bit of a recital tour. Uh, yeah, and you know, just those were songs that that have stuck with me in my memory about just forming uh, i mean they're just they're fun memories yeah. and and sweet memories in terms of just the experience that they were but those those songs specifically i do remember learning and then subsequently performing um and they did they they had an impact i mean like i was i wasn't so much into classical music at that age yeah. um there was a bit of a loose requirement to do something in that mm. genre at these recitals. None of that really stuck with me. Um, but the popular stuff is kind of how I, how I started. Mm. Um, and that I thought that that was a great uh, beginning, you know, so it was really intuitive to, to kind of start me that way. Yes. Cause it's, that's really carried through. Now, however if many I years may, later. Dave, mm-hmm. let me, I'll, I'll just tell you something. Now, this is why this jumps out to me. That Lee would say that. Mm. Uh, as a guy who had been here in L.A. for some time and, and was working in various bands and, and doing things, um, something that both you, Lee, and Brian share mm-hmm. at the Keys. And, of course, I learned it about Brian first, and then when you came down here to L.A., I learned it about you right away, um, was that you're in a rock band, you're doing something, of, or or a, or a country band, or, or something in that world. Mm-hmm. As well, we need a we need a, a pianist. We need a keyboard player. Great. What, in my experience, what typically happens? We found somebody. He's a great player. He, he could do it. Great, fantastic. He shows up, and piano players. And I assume it's because of how they began to learn the instrument. You generally you you have to start with classical music, and at best you'll you'll broaden yourself to jazz. Mm-hmm. Makes sense because those are structured uh, formats of music and there's a lot of catalog there and they encourages sight reading and theory. No. Okay. But what happens is someone shows up on a country gig or a rockabilly gig or a rock gig and they, you can hear the classical and the jazz. They'll put these jazz voicings that just don't quite fit. Mm -hmm. And then Brian would not do that. He came in, he would play like Bent Montench. Mm -hmm. He would play like Anybody who had played for Dylan, the meat and potato thing. Mm-hmm. And so did you. And I didn't know if that was just your, 
you were sensitive to the genre and you just you had the discipline to or that's kind of more like just who you are as a musician right you know maybe it's a and therefore you guys got lots of gigs by the way right right yeah. <laughs> well yeah that's yeah I, that definitely uh, I'm just saying that helps. as 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 someone who had his own band or someone who would have to you know it was just like kind of uh, it's not always about just the absolute proficiency. It's actually about playing appropriately. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I think that it's a little bit of both of those things okay. in that, you know, I think there is some, um, some of it is like a personality mm-hmm. trait of being sensitive to like the leader, the band leader, sure. front person, sure. songwriter, all that stuff. The vision. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And not wanting to overstep boundaries right. uh, that are you know there's, there's a lot of gray areas yeah. to what those boundaries well, are at least without mm-hmm. talking about it first <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly like i think that there that is a a sort of personality trait to sort of read the room yes be sensitive to what is happening around right. and and not step on people's toes in that sense but like technically speaking um that was definitely something that i learned and I still am learning like on every gig. Yeah. So I was lucky to have known Brian in high school and mm. and sort of get at that age, like get kind of right into playing with singers and playing songs. Interesting. Um, and being told in one way or another where those lines are mm-hmm. uh, that you shouldn't cross, whether it's your left hand, like stay out of the bass player's right. way. Yeah. Don't don't riff when the guitar player is trying to play something sure, like right. it's the guitar player's band, you just need to chill or whatever, you know? Um, well, listen to the, any of that classic Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers stuff and listen to how Mike Campbell, the lead guitar player and Ben Montage, the keyboardist, listen to that relationship yeah. alone. Incredible. Who's where, uh, and I know you've played with, you've probably played, well, certainly with Mike, right? Yeah, yeah, and Ben. And Ben. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, like you said, Mike quietly could dominate the stage filled with tons of musicians. I think you said something like that. Yeah, totally. And, and it yeah, wasn't, that's right. it was just yeah. because of his appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been said that like no Beatles song, no Beatles track begins and ends at the same tempo. <laughs> like they're just all over the place. Obviously, never held them back. But yeah. but but Ringo said something about his when he was learning to play drums because of space usually and and volume. He didn't have a private place to practice by himself. He never he didn't sit down and practice rudiments with a you know what I mean. Like he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't he just he was poor and there was the space. So the only time he would sit at a drum kit and play drums was in an ensemble situation. Mm-hmm. He would only play drums with other people playing a song and so i was oh that's that's why he's so great in the beatles Mm -hmm. and probably yeah maybe wouldn't have made a a living as a session drummer in that sense but because he's not an autonomous musician he's purely an ensemble Mm -hmm. musician yeah and i think that's kind of the interesting thing that you you 
you could clearly do a solo piano recital, but more importantly, you had no problem doing ensemble. You grew into the ensemble work, which obviously you're still doing now. Yeah, and you you have to, I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I, you have to really enjoy each one of those things, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, they are very different disciplines, but you have to, I mean, there's no point in doing it otherwise, but if you're playing yeah. in a band and you have to sacrifice a lot of technique that you've worked on and and like <laughs> yeah. cut the palette that you you kind of have at your disposal on the piano which is extremely vast yeah. you you're cutting cutting it down to a fraction of what it really is in order to fit in the ensemble setting That's a great point. but you have to really like doing that like i there's <laughs> i mean it sounds weird but there's nothing i love more than sitting out verses and creating that space it's like learning along the way that you know the old saying it's like it's 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 sometimes a, more about the notes that you don't play right, right, right so even you know to the extreme of just like i'm mm-hmm. i'm out mm-hmm. and that and that creates a dynamic and like a you know an arc to the thing yeah. um to when you come in on the chorus that's when you get the lift it's just yeah. Yeah. It makes your job easier yeah, too yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so there's an anecdote that steve the, the actor steve mcqueen when he would get a script and he would look at his parts, all the lines, and his first thing was he would just cross lines out. Oh, far out. <laughs> Eliminating words, which is the yeah. opposite. A lot of actors want everybody else's lines. Time, less <laughs> <is more. laughs> but he would cross things out, and he's like, I can do that with my eyes. I can, oh, cool. I can do that. And that's a, it's an actor taking the notes out. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to be there. I don't need to be there. I just need to say this right here. Not totally unrelated, but also not completely related. Somebody it. told me. I think it's Christopher Walken. Maybe Brian was the one who told me. He requests his scripts. Yeah, exactly. He knows a lot about Christopher yes, Walken. He does. Uh, he told me, or someone told me, that uh, Walken requests his scripts without punctuation. Oh. So his cadence is very unique to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he likes to insert his own punctuation. Like the break in the line, Clearly the pause. Yeah, exactly. It's not what he's known for. <laughs> right. I know in some uh, acting uh, methods, when you when one first learns to do scene work, uh, one way to help memorize lines is write them out by hand, no capitalization, no punctuation, oh. one long stream of words, reg- and without any interruptions from the other actor's lines. Mm-hmm. So then, when you first do it, you're just emotionally filled. And you, you, and you'll say your words in or in in chronological order, but you'll be triggered by the other person saying something. Mm-hmm. So the word choice is set in your brain. Now you're just waiting for the emotion to pull those out at you at the right time. Oh, so I wonder out. if, if mm-hmm. Walken did had experience of writing them out with no punctuation, and really felt like he was more alive and more present. Totally. I, it would seem Without like that, thinking yeah. Of it yeah. that way. I don't know. That, that's fascinating. But and it's clearly worked for him. And, and it's worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, him and that Dirty Dancing soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> so, so you Maybe get, he wrote that song. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> so you get into... Uh, um, you. So now you're in high school-ish. Mm-hmm. You, you meet Brian in high school or college? I'm sorry. I, high school. High school. But towards the end, I mean, he was a senior when I was a freshman. So we, right. we overlapped uh, for that year, which was, you know... A, he- a huge year just enough for me i mean in terms of overlap i was you know extremely impressionable uh sure and i didn't know a lot of people going into high school uh because it was a private high school and i was coming from uh like public schools okay. where i grew up that 
it's like I had all my friends through that system and then I then I made the shift in and I was like I don't know anybody right. like they all went to other private schools together um and I I think Brian had a similar experience uh having moved down to California from Washington. yeah from yeah, Washington um you know but I didn't know a lot of people and music was that connection and that's how we met and then I immediately thought I was the coolest freshman in the class because I was friends with a senior and then a few right. seniors. This does not hurt. Yeah, I, you know, and then we were playing music. So it was like I very quickly gained at least a little bit of confidence because of those things, oh you know, which was really good I mean, for me. Poorly socialized as I still am at my age. <laughs> what little I have is because I knew that at a, about the age of seven, maybe even younger, I knew mm -hmm. that that was probably going to the instrument of the guitar was going to be my key to having access to just the outer world, the community at, at large. Yeah, totally. You could just say, if someone says, who is Eugene? I would be able to say, I am a guitar player. <laughs> when people I, ask, like, I, I what could, are your other interests? I'm like, well, playing piano. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and bass a little bit. So I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where would we be without it, I right. guess? So let me flash forward a bit, because in, uh, because I remember, obviously, met you by the time you were in college. What, and uh, how did you come to New York what college? What was, I mean, what was the... I went to the Manhattan School of Music. Okay. Um, I I knew so little about what I was getting into there um, beforehand, which which actually worked in my favor. I think if, if I would have known, if I would have ever been to New York City before applying to this school mm -hmm. or going to audition at the school, that was the first time I had ever set foot in New York, of course. let alone Manhattan. Had you ever Manhattan. been to the East Coast? No, not right. as far as I remember. Right. I mean, maybe uh, I guess Florida. Okay, I don't. You know, yeah. the southeast at least. I went right, to yeah. Disney World and Epcot Center when I was a kid. But that's not the same thing. No, no. To, yeah, okay. And and like, it, I was glad I didn't know um, what what New York was all about, and like the energy and the pace and all that stuff uh, of the city was extreme. I landed. And auditioned, and that was a bit of a whirlwind because I was so nervous about auditioning in person mm -hmm. um, that it still didn't even register at that point. And then when I finally moved out there to go to school, it was like it was the most extreme version of culture shock I could have ever <laughs> imagined. Um, and I guess getting to that point, I think it was the band director um, who was also a, a huge influence on me, um, Mason Kemont. He may not have really known that much about the school either, but like we knew or he knew that it, it was a well-established conservatory mm -hmm. that it was at least worth a shot to audition. Mm -hmm. um, this is your music director at the high school. We're yeah, yeah. 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 So he, he guided me through that. Gotcha. I mean, I was looking at other more traditional universities, mm -hmm. uh, couldn't get into USC cause my grades weren't good enough. Uh, University of Miami was an option. Uh, yeah, the, the hot. By the way, hot music school. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah, and I was I was really attracted to that because of the location. I mean, you know, you yeah. see the brochure and you're like, oh my <laughs> wow, goodness. I, I glad I didn't go there because I wouldn't have finished school. I don't know what A I'd lot be doing. Of yeah, <laughs> but ended up at Manhattan School of Music, and it was the culture shock of the city um, was extreme. Getting to the school and quickly like within the first half of a day probably realizing that you are the smallest fish in powerful yeah it was it was the you know my classmates uh 
my year and above into, into the graduate program, I mean, there was an extreme level of talent. <laughs> they had been playing jazz. They grew up around it. They had parents or grandparents that were career musicians or yeah. career jazz musicians. And it was like, it, I was overwhelmed with how good they were and like realized it's like, all right, my life now is in the practice room. <laughs> I will never see the light of day, f- at least for the next year yeah. until I feel like I'm at least competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I first started, I really didn't feel like I was, I was questioning whether or not it was the right place mm-hmm. because I felt like I was pretty far behind. Um, so that with the culture shock, how did that not completely just derail your intention to be there? It almost did probably, <laughs> you know, I had, um, you know, and I was homesick. It was I was a mess for a little while, but I did. Luckily, I found a really good crew of people good pretty quick. Um, neighbors in the dorm, yeah. and then a few other folks in the jazz program that were still really close to this day. And if I wouldn't have found them, it would have been a completely different story. Yeah. Um, and I'm really thankful for that because that at least kind of helped me through some of the more yeah exactly otherwise it would have been kind of hard to get through it progressively got easier and easier getting used to the city and then realizing at some point it just clicked like okay you were at at some point you were really terrified of what was going on and then i got broke through that wall and i was like well this is the greatest place in the entire (laughs) universe what do you mean like everything's open no one's checking my id uh, the food is amazing. Right. You can go to any club in the West Village or Lower East Side or whatever and see the greatest yeah. improvisers and creative artists. Just you know that it was it was really great for that. It really kind of exploded my senses. Yeah, creatively, create creatively. Mm. Creatively, there we go. There you yeah, go. say it like walking wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's been a big influence on me. Um, so, so how long did you attend the school of Man- the Manhattan School of Music? Uh, four, four, four years. Fully four year program. Great. Barely made it through. There but was you did. there was a point uh, after year three where the school told me that that was going to be it. That I was no longer going to be coming back to finish the program which was a shock in itself. Uh, May I ask the reason? It Well, New York City was the reason. It was, there were so many, I mean, also the real reason was I wasn't going to some classes. Okay, okay. I was, yeah. yeah I just, failed uh, oh, okay. in attendance. Oh, in a word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was not present at some of these classes. I understand. Uh, but it was. I mean, you really would sit out for more than just a verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I was out for the tune. You I was backstage. It, <laughs> yeah. it was. I mean, it was stupid and foolish and immature on my part. I mean, I I, I own that. But what I will say for you. is that there the classes that I was I was picking and choosing. I mean, the classes that mm-hmm. I was interested in, which was most of them, mm-hmm. I was. Uh, succeeding. I mean, I was getting A's and if, and if maybe some B's, I mean, but they were high marks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were classes that I, I, I wish I was more interested in at the time. Um, but I, but Such I wasn't, as? uh, some of the required humanities classes, oh, unfortunately, okay. Okay, like, gotcha. you know, I took one, uh, that was just Shakespeare's tragedies. Mm-hmm. Um, which you and, were 
actually probably living at the time. Yeah, and didn't I know mean, it. I wish I could go back and do that again because it's like, well, I'm an idiot for not taking that more seriously because that why they even offer that class is to give you a well-rounded. Yes, that's right. Education an, as best as they can. It's an accredited know? college, so yeah. So you have to take those things in order to get your association. Your I mean, there are certain, but so, but it's, but just for clarity. You would essentially, you'd go to the music stuff, you wouldn't go to the other stuff. Yeah, and there were a couple mm-hmm. music classes that I didn't go to either. Like jazz history, I think at some point it was a morning class. And, yeah, you know, like lecture. I said, New York was overwhelming and I was I was trying to take advantage of uh, what the city offered. But around year three where I started having some some troubles in, yeah. uh, in that sense academically was because I was starting to play out i mean i was starting to get gigs because good things were happening yeah and i and i wanted to like, like that's what i wanted to be you doing to capitalize on it yeah and and i was able to take a couple of trips outside of new york and like i was like oh well touring is amazing doing this. Hmm. and i and i i let that get in the way of you know of the attendance of some of these classes because uh, yeah. i'd either be up okay. too late or i would just say like I'm going to go out of town for two days and I'm going to miss those classes. And it did kind of end it, up at the time biting it, me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it felt like the trade-off was fine. I thought so. Okay. And I, and I, and I certainly, I still think so. I mean, like those gigs that I was doing, sure, I should have gone to class and, and prevented myself like <laughs> getting expelled. But those gigs were, I mean, I, I wouldn't take that back. I mean, they were, uh, they were challenging. Um, the other musicians I was playing with are still people uh, that I connect with. Yeah. Uh, some of them live here. Some of them still live in New York. I mean, I was forming that that network. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an education in itself. At the same time, you're exactly. going to school too. So yeah, exactly. And you know, I just up for it. couldn't balance it well. Uh, but fortunately for me, it just took kind of some pleading on my part. After you know, after they brought down the hammer, I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Okay, right. I, I, like I'll do it. You got one more year, and like clearly, I'm invested in this education, as you can see by my, my effort in in most of my classes. Right. Like I promise, and and so they they were agreeable. I got you. Um, and you know I'm, I'm happy they let me back because <laughs> I was able to finish, and it was definitely, you know, up until that point, going to that school was the best musical decision I ever sure. made. And then after you moved back to California. Yes. And and I think this is, I'm assuming around the time that I'm playing a lot with Brian. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he and I were having a lot of conversations about you and you being up there in San Jose, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember what happened was, you know, Brian was getting a lot of work. We were playing at Disneyland with Scott Bruce probably and, mm-hmm. and Brian was juggling a lot of gigs and would need a sub and I think he just kept thinking I I know it's Los Angeles but there's just this one guy there's just this one guy and by then you'd probably visited I'd probably seen you play piano at this point and and I was just thinking yeah I, I understand what you're saying you're right and so I remember from my perspective that Brian was lobbying pretty hard to get you to move down to Los Angeles yes he was but yeah. at that time you had you were gigging a lot in San Jose, and were you? My memory and it corrected if you if you can. Um, you were probably a pretty big fish in the music scene of San Jose or in that area. Yeah, you know, I mean, not. It, it, it was at a the small, risk of being immodest. I'm asking you a question. Right, I mean, yeah, I totally. Yes, fair. I think that's accurate uh, in the sense that it just wasn't a big scene. Um, yeah. Not a lot of piano players mm-hmm. at all, and especially. 
with that kind of New York experience uh, and sure. that that experience that I had at school to come back to San Jose uh, kind of put me in a position to be able to work a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I had a good time in in those years that I was back there. Uh, I I think that I overstayed. I mean, I think I wish I would have moved down here a little bit sooner, but. You know, we were trying to make something out of the South Bay area that has a lot of uh, talented, creative mm-hmm. people, a lot of great musicians. But over those years, as as Brian is sort of lobbying to get me to come down to L.A. Yeah. and, you know, we were just up against the powers that powers that be up in the Bay Area that when you're talking about real estate. Well, I was going to say, the so clubs were closing the, the boom, the booms hitting. Oh, it has hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The tech boom has completely hit because mm-hmm. we're again we're talking about early two thousand mid uh, like what two thousand. F- what year did you move to Los Angeles? Well, I moved down here in two thousand ten. Okay. So San Jose for me was like you know the last half of two thousand seven. Gotcha. Uh, and then halfway through two thousand nine, I think was when I was starting to put the pieces in place to come right. down here. So it was a solid two years. What in but. Before you moved here, while you were in San Jose, what type of music were you playing? What were you What were you playing? It was It was so incredibly varied. It was okay. Great. Well, that's good. weekly weekly jazz jam sessions. Great. That was definitely one of the highlights because mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, I had a trio that was playing some gigs up there, and a lot of the times we were the house rhythm section, and so we, you know, we had mm-hmm. a good thing as a as a trio, like yeah, and. That that was really fun. We could really go a lot of places at these jam sessions. Um, even though, you know, a, a jazz an open jazz jam is you got to peaks and valleys. I yes, mean, you know, a lot of variety. Exactly, and that's also a great challenge. Like, how do you comp behind an Some, inexperienced yeah, soloist yeah, yeah, and, exactly. or somebody that doesn't know, uh, someone that doesn't know when to stop. Yep. And so you're just you're just constantly <laughs> you're trying to be inventive and create these uh dynamics under what can be maybe a bit too long mm-hmm. of a solo or disparate levels of proficiency exactly um but that was a great challenge so i was doing that i was playing musical theater gigs um okay. i was playing at various high schools and community colleges okay sure uh, which was that was actually one of the uh, highlights too was playing and then being on staff at West Valley Community College in Saratoga up in mm-hmm. the South Bay area. I would I would accompany the jazz choir solo piano, which was it was a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, when you're rehearsing a choir or at least the accompanist for the rehearsals, yes. you know you have to supply them a trio's worth of music, like <sighs> bass lines. If, if yep. you leave out the root notes and you're just comping as a piano player would in a normal mm-hmm. rhythm section environment, it's going to be hard for them to tune. Yeah. Them. They yeah. are yeah. out there. They're, they're just hanging <laughs> out there. And so you have to supply a solid sense of rhythm, yeah. bass lines. And in terms of a solo piano technique, that was, that was an incredible experience. It also gave me access to, the practice rooms at the college, which oh, some of them had beautiful grand pianos. So I would, I became obsessed with like 
staying late, I had a key to lock up and I'd be there in the rehearsal room, like kind of a nice theater yeah, space. I can imagine. You know, playing this really nice Steinway. adding to your Gladwellian 10,000 hours, which you yeah. probably hit after, after Manhattan, after all of high school. I mean, since recitals, I mean, yeah, you, I would imagine- that that yeah that would be a, yeah I think I hit that 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 mark yeah there I, there. somewhere close okay. at least yeah so then um, let me ask you so what was the was there a, a moment in terms of okay because uh, I remember Brian and I kind of like you will have paying gigs because it's mm-hmm. got to be scary uh, moving to L A you're a musician and one's a musician and. <laughs> really I just thought man Lee's really got to trust Brian's word on this yeah totally well <laughs> and. It that was it was scary. Like yeah. I I think the last straw for me in San Jose, it it was the the perfect storm. So there was a series of clubs that we mm. would have a regular gig at. We were friends with the owners. I mean, it was a it was a nice family and mm-hmm. a nice scene that we had cultivated. Club closed, what? and that happened a few times, and we were left out there like this is after September two thousand eight. Yeah. The market does what it does. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. So okay, it was. It just became too frustrating. Oh, no, I, mean, I remember that era. And believe it, me, I remember. You know, and like <laughs> these leases will they would change hands, and the <gasps> new lease owner would either jack up the rent, right, or 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 they would not want a live music venue. They yeah. would want to keep the space open for some sort of high end restaurant or whatever, mm-hmm. and. You know, that was just too frustrating sure. at a certain point because it's like, well, what are we going to do? Like, there's literally no other real viable option. Um, and it just became too frustrating. I, I was starting to see a, a pretty wide separation from what I was doing and what I really wanted to be doing, mm-hmm. which was everything that L.A. had to offer. And so that combined with Brian... I get, he'd been here for years at that point. Yeah, I yeah. mean, at that point, he had probably been it had been almost ten almost years. 10 years yeah. yeah, and he, I think, was playing a show in San Francisco, somewhere in the Bay Area. Um, I can't remember uh, what the gig was or the band, but he took an extra day to come down to San Jose to hang out, and yeah. he stayed at at the place that I was living. And we had a great time hanging out. And on his way out, he's like, "Listen, man." I think you should really consider moving down to LA one because of all the opportunities mm-hmm. two because I just left my apartment. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. Yeah. I know and, that. and <laughs> the, the, the lease holder uh, who's a good friend of ours, Jerry Bourget. Yes. He's like, he's going on tour in Europe in two days. There's an open room. If you want it, here's his number column but he wants to figure it out and yeah. b- before he leaves so right. i you know i thought about it i slept on it yeah the next day i wake up and i call jerry i'm like hey you know maybe maybe me and jerry had met briefly once or twice a great in, piano player himself yeah totally and you know i luckily i didn't didn't overthink the decision mm-hmm. um yeah because i i knew what la had to offer i'd been coming down here i'd seen how successful brian yeah was uh and i just i just made the decision and at that point i had been coming down to sub for him you were with scott bruce yeah, yeah, and yeah. and we had been playing together a bit uh you know doing the elvis 
mm-hmm. gigs that we were doing. And so I knew at the very least that there'd be some work right. to be had. Like I, I, I wouldn't have to compete with everybody else in LA for coffee shop starting jobs. From, starting from yeah. scratch. Yeah, you know, yeah. I could at least step into music, uh, you know, and and so I did. I mean, I just came down yeah. and, and didn't overthink it, kind of just was like, okay, here I am. This is the next phase. Yeah, and and, and uh, as a word of advice to any musicians that are listening out there, or people who just kind of are curious of how this world works, though, also, not only did you come in and just nail the gig musically, but because I was still doing the Disneyland thing at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you and I were playing a lot together at that point, but also, and it comes up all the time, but you're just, you're an incredibly great hang. You're very laid back. You're not an intrusive no. person. I'm <laughs> No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and that is, that has so much to do with why, um, a band leader or the lead singer, whomever's running the show was like, Okay, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Right. I mean, that's just that's a huge, huge part of it, mm-hmm. and that's and if, if you know, I'm just going to push the story forward here because sure. you you're here, you've got like Disneyland gigs, you've got uh, you're starting to do, and you just start to form some jazz stuff. Yeah, or, I mean, over time, you're you're starting to just connect with with other players that exactly okay. people that I had gone to college with that yeah. had either moved out here or were from here. Uh, so that network, you know, that I previously that was talking about, to pay off. exactly. Like okay. I come down here, and that those were the connections that got me into, uh, you know, a lot of different types of gigs down here. But certainly, uh, you know, jazz gigs, yeah. as uh, you know, just just jamming like late night at a bar or right. backing up a singer, mm-hmm. uh, playing more standard stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it was really great to see that you know, those, that, that circle or that, that network still existing. And, you know, we were all supporting each other in that way. Yeah. And then how, let's just kind of slide it forward to the world of Dawes. Sure. Um, you were asked to substitute, I think for a run. I was, yeah. For, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something. Well, it was interesting. You know, I, I'd, I'd seen the band play a few times, Mm -hmm. uh, first time, I saw them play. I was down here visiting Brian. Oh, and, interesting. And and we we were technically there to see. I think I think it was Rob Douglas, our our bass player friend. Oh, was he with uh, Nick at the time? Who? No, he, it who was, was it? it was before he started. He was playing with Nick Waterhouse. I don't oh, remember sorry, yeah. who he was with. Oh, okay, but fine, yeah. it was like Dawes was in the early phases of of being Dawes. I think I North Hills you. had come out. Yeah. Um, because we step into. They're the no echo. longer what? They're no longer Simon Dawes. Yes. Blake's yeah. left and they're now they're Dawes as we know. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so and, and so we go to the Echo. We're there to see the I didn't know you were that familiar with them that early on. Well, you know, I, it was interesting because I, I, I go to this show not intensely, but yeah. And and whoever Rob was playing with right. was playing after Dawes. Okay. And so we walk into the Echo, and you know, the Echo it's a classic, you know, northeast LA venue, but it's not a it's not a giant place by no. any means. Uh-uh. But they, I had never seen a show this packed, you yeah. know, and I, I didn't yeah. live in LA at this point. So I walk in, I'm like, my mind is immediately blown. I'm like, okay, the show's sold out. This is crazy. We're on the guest Dra- list. Drawing, That's amazing. Drawing in Los Angeles is so hard. Yeah. Oh my God. Is. Yeah. I mean, it's just in the clubs, obviously they have their motivation to get like, 
hey, we want to play your place. Well, how many people can you bring? Right. Yeah, and how now, many tickets now, are you worth? And yeah, the, and yeah. now the dance like, wow. starts. So you, so yeah, so you've probably been to seen a lot of club shows, and yeah. there's not a lot of people. Played there. a lot of shows that have yeah. <laughs> people at them. I was like, wait, 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 wait. You can put 300 people in a room to watch you play right. music. This is crazy. So, we, so you go to this club, and like, and and it's apparent to you that everyone's here to see Dawes. Everyone's there to see Dawes. It's sold out. Everybody in the audience is like put together and stylish and beautiful <laughs> and young. And they have road cases with oh, with stencils. Yeah, I'm like, right. what is that? This is, I'm watching the Heartbreakers on stage. This is crazy. Look yeah. at that. That's an anvil case with That's wheels. Right. That's right. And uh, you know, so I'm watching them. They get they get around to closing with "When My Time Comes," oh. and we still do this to this day. I don't know if there's been a show ever since that song. There, I know for a fact there hasn't been a show since the song came out that they haven't played uh-huh. or that we haven't played that song mm-hmm. but i think also every show it, with the exception of of a handful when we're the opener and the audience isn't familiar Time with is us mitigated and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. taylor in those instances won't turn the mic around and let the crowd sing the chorus smart but, but oftentimes he does and he did at that show at the echo and so i'm watching the sold out house scream the chorus of the yeah. song and i'm like who are these people? <laughs> right. What I don't even. What universe is sure. this? I was like jealous for one. I was like, that's that's what I want to be doing. Good. That's good. That's healthy, by the way. That's a very healthy reaction, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it was it was just an eye opening experience. It's like mm-hmm. rock and roll. It, it's one. It's like it's fully alive. I uh-huh. mean, like you know. And so that was my first experience with the band. And so to fast forward even a, a, a bit further to when I am in L.A. I was playing with Jonathan Wilson. Yeah. And we were sharing a bill with Dawes at Hardly Strictly Bluegrass up ah, in San Francisco. My favorite festival of all time. It's like the best. Yeah. yeah. And uh I mean, funny story. Like I almost missed that show. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know who know, I don't know who knows this because I kept it pretty close to the vest. But I was flying back and forth. Wow. In the middle of a tour to play a show with Nick Waterhouse mm-hmm. because I was going to dovetail tours. The dates, yeah. Okay. Um, and I was really ambitious about it. And I gave yeah. such a guarantee that, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's a day off. I'm going to fly back from Portland to L.A., play a show. Then fly the morning of the gig to San Francisco to play Hardly Strictly. Yeah. Well, guess who woke up late? Uh, and I was, <laughs> and I, I've never been more panicked in my oh, life, sure, apart no. from maybe receiving the news that I had been expelled from college. Okay. That was a sense of panic that was only matched or surpassed by realizing that I might miss this flight to play this gig. And the universe somehow, through some good fortune, got me to the airport on time. And I get up there and I make the gig. It's all fine. But, uh, I played with Jonathan in the late afternoon. Two slots later is Dawes. And we kind of met backstage a little bit. Um, I was a little intimidated just because I remember their show that I had watched. And, you know, they had grown a lot as a band at that point. Yeah. Um, And so me and a friend go out to the audience to watch Dawes' set. And it's like the sun is setting in Golden Gate Park. <laughs> There's a cool summer's breeze. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have a nice, subtle light show at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sound was the best live sound I'd ever heard. <laughs> they opened the show with Western Skyline, which is the first song on the first record. Yeah. And I'm out there, and 
I was blown away. And I'm looking at Tay, the, the previous keyboard mm-hmm. player up there, who's a great musician and a, and a great keyboard player and was certainly um, great in that band. But I'm looking at him, and the whole time I'm just thinking, like, that he's got a bullseye. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I was like, that would be cool. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, yeah. I, like in my in my wildest dreams, maybe maybe that'd be me up there. Right. But at that point, I was I was just thinking like, not specifically Dawes, but like Correct. I want to be in a band like that. That's I want this moment, this type of moment. Yeah, he's, that, that sort of freedom of playing. Yeah, the, yeah. There's a combination of things. I could. Yeah, sure. I'm looking sure. at the audience, it's a festival stage. I'm like, that's the dream. Right. And. uh and he sounded great, so I wasn't even thinking like, oh, well, you know, like I could do There's that. Indication, yeah. You know, I'm just looking. I'm like, I would love to be doing that. That's a great gig. And then fast forward even further, it the opportunity comes up. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it it started off. It was just a really unique situation. He had come down with appendicitis while they were on tour in Europe, oh. and he had he had a hospital stay f- for the better part of a week and. You know, they decided as a band, which was I know was a tough decision for them. They they were thinking about canceling oh. dates and and just you know but the ripple effects of doing something. I know the business part of that is it's not. There's so much involved in oh, making. Oh like my that. god! So, yeah, yeah. yeah, and they, and that's and I think that that ultimately led them to the decision. It's like okay, you know what, you know, with your blessing, mm-hmm. we'll 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 play a couple of shows as a. You know, with I think they they came out to the West Coast and did a few shows with Blake Mills, mm-hmm. their old bandmate and right. longtime friend, to kind of fill in. And instead of uh, guitar and keys, it, it was going to be guitar like two guitar. guitars. You yeah. know, and so maybe and then Taylor would cover keys. So it was okay. at some point I think it probably was a three guitar situation mm-hmm. and then uh, keys and and two guitars. Gotcha. But you know they and then they had another a week and a half, two weeks on the East Coast. Right. Almost immediately following that, Blake wasn't going to be able to do it. So, did they remember you from Jonathan or? I think vaguely, yes. But they did call a few people. Oh, okay. Uh, and the you know it's not lost. I mean, just like the sheer luck of it, like who they even thought to call. One was Rob Douglas, you know, friend that I you know had mentioned. That's, that would be a good guest, actually, Rob. Yeah. For the show. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about music? Yeah. yeah, yeah holy yeah, moly! Yeah. So uh, but you know he it it was interesting. They called some people for for recommendations. Yes. Yeah, and they called Rob. Rob and I were booked on a session with Nick Waterhouse. Okay. And he, you know, he, he was so cool about it. He's just like, listen, I think, I think Griff, our drummer called Rob and he was like, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated. Here's the situation. Yeah. He's booked on a session with me for Nick. It's for his album. Yeah. It's you know, which is a big deal. Yeah. But you should call him. Wow, man. And I think they maybe asked Jonathan to um, uh, for recommendations. Sure, reference. And both, or whoever they called, I think my name was was the one that kept popping up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went out to sub, and the first show I played with him was in Boston. And th- th- like I said, that rock and roll dream of watching them at Hardly Strictly, yeah, it was fulfilled. Now you're there on that stage in Boston. So instead of like, oh, I wish that could be me, my thought after that show was like, oh man, I wish I could do this all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> like you just want more. Yeah, it's like because it was it was sort of it was ill defined. Like the, when I was brought on to sub, it was like, sure, okay, it could just be one show. Yeah. It could be a week's worth of shows. We don't know when Tay's going to be back. 
and so I play that one show, and I'm like, uh, it, mm-hmm. I'm I'm hooked. I like, can't unring this, this bell. Yeah, this <laughs> this is like this is gonna be a hard one to like to walk great, away. <laughs> like I, now, it's funny to think about now being in the band. I just can't imagine what it'd be like to be like. Yeah, well, I played one show with Dawes back in the day, like as, as a resume. Joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember that one show much, I did. How much uh, time did you have to prepare for that first gig? I had uh, like two days. Oh, how familiar <laughs> with the catalog were you? I, I was not as familiar. Like I, I knew some of their songs. Being being a fan, I I had heard a good portion of yeah. of the material like i'd heard at least what they were playing live cuz you'd seen them and and like kind of the the songs that they they would have released uh, as singles right right the emphasis tracks yeah so like things happen yeah. and all your favorite, favorite bands. bands like that that's the album that they were touring on oh, god so <laughs> and, but then there was yeah when my time comes uh from a window seat a and bit of everything, a little bit of everything, yeah, and and most people, those were the ones. Most people was my jam. Sure. When when that first <laughs> came out, I, I was like, "This is speaking my language." Sure. Like these everything. Um, but yeah, about two days. Like it was it was quick, but luckily because I had to get out of the session that I had previously had booked with well, Nick. That freed up. Yeah, like I would have had to like I would have been in San Francisco the day you know like the days that i had to yeah. learn the material and luckily i just hold up i didn't leave the house once That's in two days exactly right and but they were doing a headlining set and at that point it was like 20 songs yeah and so when you when you have to learn 20 songs that's like that that's two hours just to go through them once that's so right. I'd go through it once, take a break, go through it twice. That's already like five hours. Right. So I only had so much time right. oh, to wow. do it. And, you know, one of the best pieces of advice, I think, and, and I, you've probably given me this advice too, but I know you, Brian, and maybe a few other folks. Uh, also, oddly enough, well, I'll get, I'll get back to uh, the, sure. But anyway- Learn the background parts. Learn the harmonies. Yeah. If it's not expected of you yeah, to sing, just learn can, them. Yeah. Because if you show up and it's like, oh, sure, I've got the keyboard parts down. Oh, yeah, I know all the harmonies. Uh, I mean, you, it's that, you it's just elite. work a little bit harder than everybody That's else. That's right. And, and it just shows the, the effort. The commitment. Exactly. And I, th- you know, plus, I mean, those harmonies were amazing to sing, <laughs> yeah. you know, but unfortunately for me being like the third harmony, uh-huh. like they're always the hardest ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're always the highest. They're always the lowest. Right. Accidental. That's not always intuitive. I'm holding some weird suspension. Right. It's yeah. like, it's okay. What we call the George. Yeah. Part. I give Griff, George Harrison. Part. George yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're singing the six. Yeah. At the end of, I, she loves you. I definitely, I like to raz Griff a little bit on it. Cause I'm just like, well, it's great. You guys are brothers. And like you, one, they match harmonies perfectly, but because of that dynamic and because of Griff's like very signature vocal tone that is so him and so unique and, and really so cool and, and special, like he, he should be the kind of second most featured singer. You know, the brotherly aspect is, is a great part of the band. Of uh, but what that does leave me, which I kind of elbow him in the side every time, is that like, oh, wait, so I'm the one that's all the way up in the stratosphere. I have this weird interlocking <laughs> moving part that's like really hard to tune. Yeah. 
like it's always the hardest part. Yeah. And I don't know, woe is me, I guess. But like, <laughs> it's only it only truly rears its ugly head when we have an early morning show, and I'm or, radio, or like a radio, radio thing. Yeah, yeah. And we're on mics like this, and yes. it's like, we're playing kind of quietly, and then all of a sudden I'm squeaking out this so like, exposed. <laughs> yeah. Just, there's no sound coming out of my voice because of this tough. part. <laughs> uh, before we, I want to move towards your upcoming album, but I have sure. one more Dawes question, if I may. Do you ever cry during shows? Ooh, Good question, tough, Jane. Yeah, tough question. Uh, yes. I would ball. If I were in that band, I would not be able to get through a set. Especially when you're seeing that sunset at those festivals, you know, in the distances. I've I've teared All up. All those memories come back. And, and let and... a few drop <laughs> for, for lots of reasons. Oh. Uh, one of them being that. Yeah. I mean, we just played in Philadelphia for the XPN Fest uh, maybe six months ago or something. Mm-hmm. And they have it across the river from Philly so technically it's in New Jersey okay, but yeah. what's behind the stage is the Philadelphia skyline <laughs> and it was a beautiful early summer day and when we're you know we're playing the the last slot the sun's going down behind the skyline mm-hmm. it's like a purple sunset yes and I look back and I, I forget what song we're playing maybe a little bit you know oh, God. and I'm looking That's back and I'm like I'm, I'm overwhelmed I'm just overwhelmed I, I, because I this can't is the most listen, beautiful <laughs> I can't listen to a little bit of everything well that's number one all your favorite bands makes me tear up. Mm-hmm. Things happen has done it before, but a little bit of everything. That's the one that I just, as a listener, as a fan, I cannot get through it. I yeah. think I can. Sometimes was, if I sing along out loud with it, maybe that'll help. It doesn't happen. Nope. Maybe yeah, I'll listen totally. to it around <laughs> other people. Makes it worse. Uh, right. Yeah. Especially totally. you, right, oh, man. when you're my wife or daughter. Yeah, yeah. Not. It's. I'm not making it through. And and so and I asked this. Just I didn't ask to embarrass you. I ask this with all the soul in my heart. Um, and hopefully this spurs our listeners to, if you don't know this band Dawes, please go check them out. Right, right. Um, You'll cry to we it. We just did this. Uh, <laughs> we just, I mean, <laughs> oh my, it's, oh my God. So um, uh, we just wrapped up a residency in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Dwight has this whole thing. We'll talk about it in another episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, there's a, I didn't, I didn't make it. Uh, There's a couple of songs. We we did uh, Crying Time, the Ray Charles version with oh, the orchestra. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Not not happening. I'm not getting through that. Dude, it's- Or Wichita Lineman with the orchestra. Um, I'm jealous. <laughs> wow. wow. It's just like one of those things. And, and so, and I remember thinking about, I wondered about this when you first got the Dawes gig. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I can't ask him this because I'll, I sound like such a- sappy bastard but <laughs> please tell me you understand yeah yeah oh, man because <laughs> it's just i you know like i was saying it's it's so many different reasons and a lot of which you just touched on like mm-hmm. when i look out into the crowd during a little bit of everything yeah. or all your favorite bands because yeah. that's that's also all your favorite bands comes at the end of the set yeah. and it's a very powerful moment but there are people out in the crowd where i will look at them and they are they can't you know, it's their yeah. eyes, they're bawling. No, I um, saw that the Dwight show too. I'd look out and see the audience. I was like, and I'm just thinking, well, no, don't cry because then I'll have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't right. do that. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I heard all your favorite bands, the song, and mm-hmm. I remember just, I was like, that, if only I knew that phrase when I was, when we were signing each other's yearbooks. I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be. I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me And may all your favorite bands 
I know. And I know. You, I don't, did you ever get my text? I sent you a text a while back. I must have watched uh, on Netflix. Letterman is interviewing Seinfeld. It's mm-hmm. like this one-off thing they were doing, and they stand up. They're rolling credits. They're waving, and out of nowhere, Dave yells out, "Good night, and may all your favorite bands stay together." <laughs> and I'm sitting on a plane, looking around for anybody yeah, to yeah, understand just, this moment. I got like couldn't wait to land and get reception. It's just like you gotta watch this thing. It just please just stay till the end or fast right, forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do remember you so, sending me that. It was so vindicating that it's like oh he knows. Oh, of course they did, they'd done his show. They, yeah, I, yeah. Because uh, no, you weren't with them, but I wasn't unfortunately. Yeah, uh, the Warrens of Ontario. Exactly, and they had a great relationship with Dave, and he was, and hopefully still is. Yeah, and and you know, and even that stuff makes me tear up. Like these oh, proud sure. moments when you when you see. It's 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 a a little different, but similar than look, to looking out in the crowd, where yeah. you, you know the music takes on a life of its own. These songs, they, the they're reaching an audience. Yeah, that's what moves me is the relationship, the band and the audience, and the, how the material is essentially the conversation. Um, it's what when I was a kid, it's why Dave and I is a huge part of why we're such Springsteen nuts. Is that mm-hmm. same thing? Oh, I mean, he's mentioned how when he turns the microphone around for this, like, that's Thunder Road, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's just this specific line in this song where he just got. It's the most awkward line in the song, but uh, but he, it's just this dependable moment where the audience gets to take over this one awkward line. Mm-hmm. I also remember what's the other? Oh, I remember one morning I was listening to Howard Stern, and he they were playing just. Songs, I think everyone was doing. I want. I want to say it was Bowie covers. Yeah, he just had a yep. bunch of people do Bowie covers for their show. I just was just listening. It was in the background, and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my god, that piano sounds incredible!" Like just sonically, not. And it was played beautifully, but I just couldn't go with the fidelity because I'm probably listening on my phone. And uh, and they come back saying, "Well, that was Dawes doing it." And I'm like, "What?" What? I think I asked you right away. I was like, wait, wait, did you do the Howard Stern thing? It sounded incredible. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, that was super fun. I love, and I just let me tell you, I am. It it makes my heart just soar when moments like that happen, and I know that that, that it's you. And oh, I'm you're really, gonna make really happy me tear up. Come on, you guys. Jeez. Yeah, so, so <laughs> we're gonna rust out the equipment here. That's yeah. right. So, um, you have an album coming up. A, yes, a, your own, a, a Lee Pardini album. Just share us a little bit about what that is and and how do you how do you pull that off? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll use this as my this this would be my therapy now. Good. It's terrifying. Excellent. Uh, you know, we were we were talking a little bit before we uh, we started just about the landscape, like releasing an album. This is the first endeavor of mine, you know, to to release my own album to yeah. sort of present my own music, and it's it it is truly terrifying. I mean. I, so I've, I've been, you know, writing for a long time, writing all sorts of different things. But, you know, I, when I sit down to write and I take the time to do it on my own, I write jazz music. I mean, it's instrumental. It's certainly hybrid in a lot of different ways, uh, you know, but it's instrumental. It is designed to be vehicles for improvisation. Um, you know, in the classic sort of jazz way, yeah. um, but it's electric and 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 all these different things because you know there's a wide variety of influences that are going into this music. But you know, over the past ten years, I have kind of accumulated 
a kind of a stack of of tunes and kind of for one reason or or another like there was just never any time you know i either didn't have the resources uh or wasn't convinced that i had the right or that i that i was at the right level or that you know that my chops or whatever weren't where i wanted them to be to record yeah which you know you just got to let that go because you'll never reach that be there Yeah. yeah um but you know mostly in terms of like okay studios just knowledge of production and even what kind of sound i would have been going oh, what for instruments. exactly yeah, you know and so it took a long time for me to form um those ideas and really put it together and in the course of all that i just had the stack of tunes yeah and it started to become a bit of a sore subject for me and that it's like it just felt like I wasn't exercising a, a really significant part of my musical self. Yeah. Like I'm looking at a stack that's just sitting on the piano and it's starting to make me kind of depressed yeah. because I'm like, well, is that going to sit there? Not doing anything with it's going to yeah. collect dust forever. Right. Uh, so I finally had the time or, uh, I mean, I, I had always had the time, you know, but I finally made the time yeah. committed to it. And it, it it was just an incredible learning experience. You know, I was trying to, I, I learned a lot along the way, uh, but as a, as sort of a band leader for the project, one of my, you know, favorite things about this, this record, uh, you know, is that I think in jazz and in and, and most music, maybe like, you know, I was actively trying not to micromanage anybody you know the arrangements and the and the charts were what they were but w- when you have the right musicians in the right room they know what to do just let them do their yeah. thing and like that's where the magic is and i couldn't have asked for a more like committed group mm-hmm. in terms of you know the people who are on this on this recording like just really committing to it and giving it their all and just just being themselves and you know i'm really lucky to have been able to like be a part of that and and kind of put that together um but in terms of the next step now that the music is recorded yeah it is it's the it's the wild west out there you know like because i this is a side project you know i mean i'm not of i'm not delusional to think that like one even this will take over totally and and i don't it's not i don't even want it to yeah, yeah exactly like i love love being in a rock band yeah um but now having this recording it i i do have something to show for that other side mm-hmm. um but how to put it out is yeah exactly you know like there's various ways to do it and i'm sort of in the weeds with it now as to like well if i'm self-releasing a record what is that landscape I have to get on Instagram now. What is? Oh, yeah. I have to. I have oh, to get engaged right. in social Lee, media. Lee has. You have no social media whatsoever, right? Well, up or, until about two weeks ago, okay. I did it. You've yeah. been off the grid up until. Been, yeah. I was so <laughs> proud to be off the grid. You should have been. Yeah. You know, you and it was it was great. I I think I, I, there was a lot of things I missed out on by 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 not being a part of that. Um, just knowing about friends' gigs or right. things like that. Um, but if it it would always. That information would always generally make its way to me somehow. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, it just it I mean, just is a sociological moment that that you, know, you could kind of like yeah. If I eventually learned, I mean, yeah, I heard about it. I got yeah, if it. If you're a social somehow. creature, you go out, you talk to people. There's that exactly. It's gonna 
you know, that that's just a more immediate way for you to scroll kind of through on your phone and be like, oh, playing tonight, done. Interesting. Um, but now I'm on it. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, do, you, what, do you want to advertise your handle now? I think it's just at Lee.Pardini. I know you know what it is. Yeah. I've seen some uh, videos. Uh, I guess they must have been done in the last couple of years on mm-hmm. YouTube of you sitting by yourself at a piano. I can't remember where they were exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but there were the, I was reading through the comments on them. And you're, it's these longer, these lengthier jazz pieces that you're mm-hmm. doing. And they seem pretty complex, but they're beautiful. And uh, But I was reading through the comments, and the people are, are just anxiously awaiting the final result of the, like where these will appear. And I was like, wow, (laughs) I I don't know when I've heard that about any jazz music before where people are like eagerly waiting something to come out that's, you know, they just heard an early version of. Right. Um, I'd love to say that was all by design. But it wasn't. But, but, <laughs> but I was reading through it, it, yeah. it and some people were wondering, is this, how is this going to relate into the Dawes world, or is this going to be something actually totally different, right. which is what, it's, what it is going to be. But, yeah, you know, and that's, that's something that I wrestled with uh, throughout, and even, even am still. Like, you know, Dawes has a significant platform, mm-hmm. um, and we have a, a very great and, and, and generous audience. What this music ended up being from my record is, is certainly there's some overlap. Griffin Goldsmith plays drums oh. on on this jazz record. Oh, that's true. And, and it, it really showcases a side of his I, I drumming so. that that a lot Good of people don't know yeah, about. Um, and they should. And so, I mean, that alone is is worth it for this for putting sure. this record out. But how does it relate? And how will it like? I just I'm not even sure. Like, because there's moments where I know that. It, it, it things get so free in this uh, in one of these tracks that we did for this mm-hmm. jazz record and like it's a challenging listen you know yeah. and so i don't i have any expectations for the crossover you understand. audience yeah yeah you, you know it. it is it is what it is and like it we definitely went pretty far out we dug in in deep in in a free sense but also in a very dense harmonic sense like there's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of colors and scene changes in this music well, that's I'll tell you what. challenging. Uh, of the two songs we have available, which one would you like to play on this episode? I think... Throw to your own record. Well, you know, <laughs> for what it's worth, when, we've, when I've played this music, uh, which has been few and far between, yeah. but there is one that people seem... Um, like they always was like, what's that one? They you know, respond, oh, okay, you know right. and it, it's the one called Main Title. I thought that would be it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And see, right. and so I, proven my point. I, um, <laughs> now, okay, so, uh, well, this is this feels, I don't know if I'll use the word exclusive, but here's, but it, it feels, according to the it narrative, is exclusive. Here, it's a premiere. Yeah, yeah. It'll never get played again <laughs> after this is so exclusive. All right, so, pass it around, everybody. Here <laughs> it comes, everybody. This is Main Title by Lee Pardini.
I've run out of lessons to learn I've run out of stones left to turn And I hope for the best In return I got the worst And I've run out of feelings to hurt You just heard the Salty Dogs doing Unfaithful Woman. Uh, this is from a brand new collection called Gold. It's a two-disc set with a, a lot of their... It's a, sort of a compilation of hits. Uh, there's some demo tracks, some un, unreleased tracks. There's even a track that uh, Brad Williams had recorded at the uh, the record booth at Third Man in Nashville. So that's kind of oh, an yeah, interesting set. That. Mm. But this track that we just played... Um, it's uh, It comes from Lenny Bryan's show called Versus. And the premise of the show 
uh, they basically get bands in, and they it's a songwriting type of uh, type of show. They draw cards. The bands will draw cards. Like song has to begin with uh, ah. an acapella verse. Okay, the next thing is. No electric guitars, only acoustic instruments, or must use a triangle somewhere, or okay. uh, has like to end it. with a totally different coda than what that doesn't appear anywhere else in the song, that oh, sort of thing. Cool. Wow. So they draw their cards, and then they now have to write a song and then record it. And uh, so they teamed up That's with brilliant. Buck Trent. Buck Trent, who's uh, played with Roy Clark, uh, appeared on Hee Haw, worked with uh, Porter Wagner, Dolly Parton, he plays on Jolene. Mm. Um, so it's a really cool uh, really cool episode. You can find that online. We'll share the link on the website. But uh, just the way they piece that song together, I thought was really cool. So uh, go find Salty Dog's Gold album. Uh, and then before that, we heard uh, a brand new world premiere track from That's Lee Pardini. That's right, absolutely. Main title, I Lee Pardini. Now we're going to move here, uh, just to try and close out the episode, frankly. Uh, uh, it's the end of the year. Um, Lee, thank you for staying with us. We're just about things that we liked in 2019. I, 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 we used to do albums of the year and stuff, but I think the album format that gets a little tricky because sometimes yeah. I know for me sometimes I'm just more familiar with one track I was looking at my list and I was trying to determine well what's the album of the year and then there's like just a single a single only yeah. a single yeah, an me EP too. it's like well they're not all eligible then that's not, not fair that way, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 and I don't think you know Pitchfork and I'm sure they do their best albums of the year I'm sure that still that format exists but I think it's yeah. not happening nearly as much I think it's more like tracks of the year sure but by the way uh, for me just two moments I thought were fascinating. They were recent. One was, um, did you get just, was, I guess it was a controversy for maybe six hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billie Eilish said she had never heard Van Halen. I'm assuming she was asked, hey, have you ever heard Van Halen? I, I doubt Billie Eilish just woke up and said, Listen up, everybody. Yeah, I have something to say. I've never heard this thing <laughs> called Van Halen. I just I don't people offer yeah. that. Everybody keeps talking about Van Halen. I don't <laughs> people, know what you're talking they yell, about. They yell jump. They yell uh, Panama. I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. She's staying off the grid. That's yeah. how it happened. She, that's right. But, of course, um, and I thought, well, there's kind of no reason why she sh- she would have. And I don't mean that with any malice. I'm just saying right. her age. Oh, the time frame. Yeah. The time frame. Um, I thought a beautiful statement was made by... Eddie Van Halen's son, Wolfgang, I think it was him, he just kind of, um, I'd read it, that he'd put out, if you've never heard Van Halen, you should check them out. They're awesome. If you've never heard Billie Eilish, you should check her out. She's awesome. And I thought, that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point of this. You don't punish someone for not, being aware being born of at the right time, especially or, yeah. not in music. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's yep. silly. Uh, and the other thing was, and I don't really know the full story about this and I, I'm, I'm ill-informed because I don't even know, know the name of the country singer, Morgan something, I think, but um, a young uh, con- a male country artist who's pretty mainstream has begun to do a cover of Jason Isbell's Cover Me Up in his concerts. Cover Me Up. It's a very, very uh, revealing song. Uh, it, it, within Isbell's camp, it's a very moving song, and it's mm-hmm. one of the ones that people cry and right, let's not, let's not do okay, this. Okay, I know. I keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, okay, yeah. So anyway, I'm so raising this, my hand. So this guy, so this, and, and this song's like six or seven years old. So um, this guy's in arenas doing this batless three, four ballad, and people are holding up the lighters. Everything's going exactly as it should. And it seems as though some people, I don't know who, because I didn't read the criticisms of them. Um, had some sort of issue with this to where Jason himself had to address this again. I don't, we call it a controversy because I don't know who would complain, but mm-hmm. he clearly felt propelled to say, Hey, look, 
I'm really grateful that this guy is doing my song. And and then uh, it really is a matter of why would we have a problem with an artist exposing a, a massive mainstream audience to maybe something a little deeper, maybe something that they don't know because uh, they didn't find them the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the way the uh, these gentlemen handled uh, these situations uh, very, very yep. well. Um, and I use the word gentleman specifically. So those are two recent musical moments that I thought there there need not be controversy. Uh, the whole reason we have the show is to share things. That's yep. right. Music. Keep it all positive. Keep it all positive. Okay. Um, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll get my long list out of the way. I, I'll, I'll go through because I do my little annual collections of favorite songs throughout the year. Yeah. And as new stuff comes out, it's like a battle of the bands. Somebody mm-hmm. knocks mm-hmm. some other song out. And by the end of the year, <laughs> I have the stuff that I could listen to over and over and will not get sick sure. of because it's stood the test of the year. The competition is stiff. That's right. <laughs> So in 2019, here here are the songs I'd like you all to check out if you can. There you go. Um, Mike Doty from Soul Coughing has uh, a song called Theme from Busted Glove. Now, this is a harder one to find because it's something I got through his Patreon subscription. Uh, I pay five bucks a month, and he sends out a handful of songs every month. He's writing all the time. Mm-hmm. And so this is just one of those little things that he isn't on an album. It's just mm-hmm. a new song he put out. And I loved it. Um, Old Sea Brigade has a song called Feel You from an album called Ode to a Friend. We talked about this earlier yeah. in the year. Pedro the Lion uh, is a song called Quietest Friend, um, sort of about childhood bullying and the regrets in, yeah. in adult life, you know, looking back on that. It's from his album Phoenix, guided by voices. Um, Robert Pollard, the hardest working Still man in show business, Still creating music. Right? Uh, My Future in Barcelona is the song from the album Zeppelin Over China. Um, Gene, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to listen to Mandolin Orange yet. No. Beautiful uh, country group. Uh, Golden Embers, if you can find that song from Tides of a Teardrop. Cass McCombs, we talked about Cass and yeah. the song Australia. Check that one cool. out. Yeah. yeah. Right? I yes. love Cass. Yeah. 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 Um, Better Oblivion Community Center, which is the Phoebe Bridgers group. Didn't know what I was in for. Uh, and then here's another, this is a digital single only, not on a physical format. John Mayer had a track, uh, he had a couple tracks out this year, I think, but uh, the one called I Guess I Just Feel Like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. kind of hit in the middle of the year uh, amidst a lot of the social and political climate. And it just, that song just sort of like felt like a hug at that point. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Luther Dickinson and Sisters of the Strawberry Moon featuring Amy LeVere. It's a cute little song called Cricket from his album Solstice. Um, Charlotte Cornfield, a song called Andrew from her album The Shape of Your Name. Tyler Ramsey, formerly a band of horses. Right. Uh, a song called A Dream of Home uh, from the album For the Morning. And then also we talked about Damien Gerardo has a new album called In the Shape of a Storm. Uh, I'd like you to check out the track Where You Want Me to Be. Oh, I talked about this too. Uh, Elvis Costello and the Imposters put out an EP called the Purse EP. Came out on Record Store Day. Uh, There's a a song called If You Love Me uh, that is, I think that's now streaming on Spotify so that you can find that too. Very cool. Uh, Nick Lowe, Trombone, which is a a, a single on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then we talked about this as well. Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul uh, from the album Summer of Sorcery. The title track just uh, won me over surprisingly with satellite radio i just wasn't expecting it it hit me and i had to instantly look it up um bruce springsteen western stars album a song called stones probably 
my favorite song of the year, or at least in the top three. It's something that I told you off to the side, Gene, that this is a song that had it been recorded in the darkness period, yeah. 77, 78, the song would have fit in and would have been in the running, I think, for that to final your credit, you told me that, then I listened to the album, and I when I when that song came, I knew immediately that that you was, knew it was the that one. one. Yeah. Okay. I woke up this morning With stones in my mouth Said those were only the lies you've told me Those are only the lies you've told me I pulled my collar to the wind And spit them on the ground You said those are only the lies you've told me Those are only the lies you've told me You said on the edge of our bed in the sun I felt them gather on my tongue. I woke up this morning. So well described. Stunning. Um, Willie Nelson, uh, Cruel World from the soundtrack to Red Dead Redemption 2, we talked about, I think, yeah. in the last episode, which is the Daniel Lenoir Correct. score for that uh, video game mm-hmm. soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, big Thief, uh, the song "Not." Well, that's that's a big that's been a big one this year for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I, I was seeing it on some lists as well. So you're hearing it too. Yeah. Okay. Good for them. Uh, and then uh, finally, um, we talked about this in the last episode. Matt Berninger and Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, Matt from the National. It's a song called "Walking on a String." I saw, I, went, I saw the movie. Oh, you, know, you watched it between two between twins movie movie, and I saw that scene. Yes, we're so, in the yeah. bar. Yep, a gorgeous song there, and uh, that rounds out my my Dave's Faves playlist for 2019. Let's Pretty hand good. this over to our guest Lee Pardini. Lee, I know I, I kind of surprised you with this this, yeah. this morning, but but just as you're out there, mm-hmm. what have you heard? What are you liking? Well. Not all of it probably came out in 2019. That's fine. Okay, so so stuff that I've been obsessing over in the past year, let's say. So, you know, it's it's funny. I will say so much of it is, at least on some level, involves friends or acquaintances. Like I, you know, which is not not meant to be like a humble brag in any way. It's like there's so many talented folks that that fortunately, we're you know, they're just making great music and mm-hmm. and so one album that that hit me pretty hard was maybe released in 2018 i can't remember now but mike viola put out a record oh called american egypt it's crazy good okay and you know what he's a songwriter oh my god and this is some if if not his absolute best is certainly up there no and kidding. it's a beautiful that's record a lot there's one track in particular called snow face that's towards the end of the album it's it's just you know it's just so good. I fully recommend anybody listening to check that out if you, you haven't already. It? Did you play on it? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Did Brian play on it? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, so there, there's that one. Mike's record. Um, a good friend of mine, Theo Katzman, has been putting out songs this year. Um, he's he's in another band called Wolfpack, but Theo and I work really closely together. So I am a little biased in this opinion, but. He's putting out some music that is just, it's, it's so good. It's, he's, it's, there's some social commentary in some of the songs, um, but he really has a, uh, clever way with words and a, and a really funky 
groove sensibility. Right. So, you know, while at the same time they are addressing some kind of heavy issues mm-hmm. or just just heavy ideas of, of just love and breakups and whatever it is, it's just got such a uh, tight, funky thing about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, between those two things, I've definitely been checking out. But, like, you know, jazz-wise, it's it's I go into these deep dives where I... I'll just get obsessed, and right now it's it's Keith Jarrett. I'm trying to dig into every <laughs> Keith Jarrett thing, and none of it is from the past couple of years. Well, no, no, yeah. You know, I'm like living in a perpetual <laughs> like state of 1973 sure. or something. But um, you know, just trying to to dig into, you know, it, let it kind of inform what I'm trying to do too. So there's like the uh, I haven't truly left like the educational environment, you know. Well, we well, that's the name of the show. It's a jukebox graduate, yeah, uh, which we, we lifted from an old Springsteen song. Those two words, but but a lot of this is about how music ends up being an educational tool, not about music itself, but mm-hmm. about life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone who would often mention Keith Jarrett in the interviews was Robin Williams. Oh wow, that's and kind I'm, of a surprise. I, that's why, and then yeah. but then you think about it a little bit like. Improv, yeah, right. Master improvisationalist, right? Totally. Theme, no, I no such thing as a bad idea. You got to follow every strand, and all of a sudden, it's like, of of, of course, Robin Williams would be totally into. How future. cool that he was tapped into that. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just, it's so so moving. Uh, it's a surprise, but at, yeah, but at the same time, it's no big surprise. For a moment, they go, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, he'd be drawn to that. Well, one one other guy. Uh, that I've that did put out a record in 2019, mm-hmm. and he, he's just been blowing my mind. Anderson Pack, I don't know oh, if yeah, you guys, yeah. his he, he he's incredibly talented. Everything mm-hmm. I hear from him, um, and I have there, I don't know anybody in that camp. That I've never met Anderson. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just a just a pure fan through and through. He is so talented. I mean, he can sing. He plays drums. He produces. I mean, it's just. He's got something to say, and yeah. he's his the natural quality of his voice is just so unique, and it, it's I think he's he's definitely tapped into something pretty cool, mm-hmm. um, doing something really different than what's out there. In like, you know, it, it's in the hip hop, soul, R and B, and and jazz world. I mean, there's a very very much a multi kind of hyphenate genre wise, but mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. Also, you're right; the talent is apparent. The abundance of talent is apparent, I, but it's the taste. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy could probably just create tracks all day, just out of, I don't know how prolific he is, but I'm assuming with that talent, he could be very prolific, but it's what he chooses to put out mm-hmm. and the quality of what he chooses to put out. That I think that's a huge statement. Yeah, and that. he's pushing himself in different directions, yeah. too. I think he has a song with Smokey Robinson that he put out this year. Uh, called Make It Better, I think. Yeah, I remember okay, I heard that sound And it's just, it, it's such a good mix. You hear him really, you know, Smokey's the king, you know? Yeah. I mean, everybody idolizes Smokey, cause, as as they should. Uh, and what they came up with with this track is like a, a bit of a homage to where, you know, the groundwork that Smokey Robinson himself laid for people. Yep. But then it's got this modern... Yeah, it's the trick. I mean, totally it's- current take on what that was, mm-hmm. and it's just really beautiful. Remember when we first met? We were having so much fun. So now, how could we both forget? Telling each other we're the one. We would make love at the drop of a hat. Remember that. 
which really, that would probably be the best reason to do something like that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, those are hip, great recommendations. Thank you, Lee, very, very much. Of course, for that. Um, yeah. And then I'll try and be as fast as I can here. Um, all, and, um, it's not so much the the song "Old Town," the track "Old Town Road," as much as the story of this song mm-hmm. and what it did this year, um, and uh, in terms of the conversations that it forced, uh, the moments that it forced. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna. Ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black, got the bushes black to match. Riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche. I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Uh, and and I really I, the more I listen to it, I just frankly I just think that is a very successful track. Just as a piece of music, it's a very successful track. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it doesn't. It, the irony is not lost on me that it's the 45th anniversary of Blazing Saddles, which I think I know that the universe didn't conspire for that to happen, <laughs> but but it, there's but there's just this very funny thing about like I was like oh my god because I think Blazing Saddles is a specifically special film in terms of. Uh, I heard someone talk about this recently, so this is not an original thought, but it's it's probably the broadest comedy comedy one could possibly make, and that's but it's the reason it's aged so well is it is about something, it's about something, and um, when it when something like that is about something, uh, it gives it a life, it gives it a heart, and I think this track Old Town Road, inside of outside of the controversies or non controversies of it. It, it's about something and um, about adaptation, about evolution of things. And um, and I just think it was a very it was a moment that music needed. And uh, and it reminded us uh, that music is about commonality and, and not the opposite. Um, so that one's there. Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. I, I, again, I just that at first I was just my daughter was and, you know, local girl, neighborhood girl, Billie Eilish. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she grew up here in, uh, here in Highland Park. Oh. Uh, I, oh, yeah. My wife and daughter were mentioning this artist. I'm like, okay, oh, I'll check it out. And this was, and, uh, and Bad Guy was the song I, ca- I first came across. And it was a 60s spy kind of pastiche thing. It's like, okay, cool. I'm in. Um, <laughs> that last half or third of it where it just completely goes way off the rails. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> That was wonderful. I love it when art does that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I knew everything about this track as it's going along. I'm trusting all everything, and then it just takes off. And I thought this is a hit. This is happening right now. Like people are, and I that was very inspiring to me. Um, a band, a, a local band, uh, Starcrawler. We'll talk about them a little bit in, in future episodes because uh, I'd love to, I'd love to meet this this kid who's playing guitar. A song of theirs called "No More No More Pennies." 
Um, I think that may have been produced by Ryan Adams. I do hear a B-Bender on really? it, uh, B-Bender uh, Fender Telecaster. So uh, check out Starcrawler, No More Pennies. I believe that lead singer, I recognized... She would take lessons at the at the Silver Lake Conservatory when my daughter was first starting taking piano lessons there, uh, and it was kind of was like, oh my god, that's like the kid from the neighborhood again. Um, also, the album, a recent release, "Let It Be Guitar" by Joel Patterson, a fantastic oh, yeah. musician out of mm-hmm. kind of the Chicago area. Um, you love the album cover because it specifically references the VJ Records album right. introducing the Beatles, which I grew I grew up with that al- album, and I didn't realize how kind of rare it is. Um, but great interpretations of Beatle music. Put it on in the background, uh, and you'll find yourself just falling in love with the, the, the compositional magic of Lennon and McCartney, but also just the extremely tasteful playing of a very, very special musician. Also, the track Stay High by Brittany Howard from her fantastic oh, yeah. solo album. The whole thing is just... a a tremendous piece of work mm-hmm. and this this I think this was the lead off single and, and um, it just it held on to me and it, and it never let go and Circles by Post Malone again uh, another song of his that really bears down to the fact that this I think this guy's gonna be alright for a long time because he clearly knows how to sit down and write a song the track as it's produced is fantastic it's of the moment it doesn't fail but this there's a song in there and uh, I, the tracks of his to which I'm attracted always boil down to I can feel the song. Um, also, as an album, this is a bit off the mark. So now various artists, music inspired by the film Roma, a film that I absolutely loved. I loved. And then various artists uh, got together, uh, guys from uh, Cafe to, to Cuba, Beck did a track. Mm. Um, but uh, the highlight is, uh, and uh, T-Bone Burnett is involved. Oh, but okay. Patty, Patty Smith has a song called Wing. Um, it's clearly just jumps, it just jumps off the, off the page, so to speak. Cool. Uh, the song This Land by Gary Clark Jr. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, a risky move for the guy. Uh uh, agree or disagree with him. Uh, I love what he's doing. The the title referencing the Woody Guthrie song, uh, his challenge uh, of being who he is, growing up in Texas, and who he is now, and it just it just digs up issues. Yes, they are unpleasant, but you cannot keep your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. And uh, the album Jimmy Lee by Rafael Sadiq, who I am convinced is incapable of producing bad music. <laughs> the the album. By Sturgill Simpson, Sound and Fury. I love the um, I love the literary reference of the title, and it also describes the music in the grooves. It's extremely very well. different. I think we've now. I think what we're going here. Sturgill is going to be a guy who's always going to have something to say about the world at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays a cop in a movie. Do you know he has he has a cameo as a cop in a movie? Um, we'll talk about it in a later episode, yeah. uh, kind of on the road movie, a vigilante sort of movie. But uh, I was I saw a trailer for it. I thought, oh, my God, that's Sturgill. <laughs> um, and he is going to be able to borrow from any genre that he chooses yeah. to get those ideas across musically. And here we've got a massive rock. I, I guess if I wanted to reference maybe ZZ Top, but I mean, the man clearly has bought a Les Paul and he's not afraid to use it. Good for him. And um, Let it rip. And then maybe maybe if there was an album of the year, this one came out, I think, in April, earlier in the year, uh, produced by T-Bone Burnett, has all has the usual suspects on it. It is, uh, it, it's uh, uh, Amidst the Chaos by Sarah Bareilles, who is a fantastic piano player, great songwriter. 
Um, and it's essentially a breakup album, but maybe not necessarily about personal relationships. Uh, there's a song called Armor, which is a beautiful song. Um, it's maybe you could call it a Me Too moment type of song, but it's it feels like it's a little bit larger than that. And I think she's, again, a songwriter who addresses issues personal and global from a very, very careful perspective. And my beloved Mark Rabot is on guitar oh, on a lot of this yeah. album, so... Wow. Um, and then also, uh, thanks to my good friend Bob Mayer for sending me back in early September the reissue of The Replacements. Talk about Beloved, my Beloved Replacements, the Don't Tell a Soul reissue on Rhino. Uh, and more specifically, the uh, the uh, CD in it that uh, is a, a Milwaukee gig of theirs. It's just, as a set list, I just don't think they left anything out that night. God, they open with Alex Chilton, and it just and it just goes, it just yeah. gets better from there if it's possible. <laughs> it gets better. Um, and uh, and the original mix of the of the album uh, that they intended to put out, but then they didn't is is there, and it's and it's actually it's beautiful. It dates really really well. The material comes through, and you and realize this band was when when they could get in a room at the same time and uh, and hold instruments, uh, they could they could do really special things. Mm. Uh, outside of that, I don't know if I'd ever want to be around them. <laughs> I'd rather read about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. precedes themselves. Yeah. yeah, I got one more thing to okay. jump back into real quick. I, I want to talk about it on the next episode. Okay. I think I had uh, sort of given you the heads up on this artist, but um, a, a gentleman named William Prince, uh, mm-hmm. a, a country artist, has an album coming out in February uh, of 2020. Okay, so we'll probably go into it more then. But right. this is an artist I just discovered in the last two weeks, and uh, just to find that he's got one album. That's already been out and a new album coming. And I fell in love with the the lead track on Spotify called Spark and uh, then dug into the first record. And I can't stop listening to that record. And I want I want the what no, exciting the sec- time. I want the that, second record now. Exciting time. <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah, I love when music you know, like you just grapple onto something. And it's this is the first country artist that I've been this excited about since maybe hearing Sturgill Simpson for the sure. first oh, time. Okay, uh, very unique voice. And um, anyway, well, uh, next episode. But uh, look him up in the meantime. You you won't be disappointed. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, let's start closing it out. Let's do our thank yous and uh and all that all that all that jazz. All right. Well, this episode of the Jukebox Graduate was brought to you by Satellite Amplifiers. You know, you know where to find them. Uh, yep. Tomorrow's sounds with, the, uh, with today's technology, or something like that. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, also a, a big thanks to uh, our brother Ted Camp yes, for letting thank us you, record. We are coming from the dead. Also, big thanks to uh, our guest Lee Pardini for coming in. Thank you for having uh, me. You bet. And uh, also uh, to Brad Williams of the Salty Dogs. Check out their new collection, Gold. Uh, the Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can find us on Facebook, just look up The Jukebox Graduate, and on Twitter at The Jukebox Graduate. Lee, what we do is now we close out with a, a, a lyric quote from any song, and we don't identify it. We just say it if, if you have one great if you don't we understand i, I, I realized i didn't i didn't prepare okay it. i'll try okay it'll be cheesy we'll let it, <laughs> it should be mine always are yeah dave do you, you want to go first so he uh, can for, hear for the lyric like? yeah okay when the ashes of lost love make it hard to breathe my love if we burn would you burn right next to me i'm dave rayburn may all your favorite bands stay together this is lee pardini and i need you more than want you and i want you for all time and the Wichita lineman is still on the line. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been the Jukebox Graduate.